Justin Timberlake, Michael Phelps, Ty Pennington, Adam Levine, Richard Branson, Simone Biles, Channing Tatum, Jim Carrey. Do you know what all of these well-known celebrities and Olympic athletes have in common? They all have ADHD. But have you ever sat down and talked to someone who has ADHD about what life is like for them? Have you ever had the chance to understand what being in their head is like all day? And maybe more importantly, if you do know someone who has ADHD or you suspect they might have it, do you know what to do to support them? Today, I'm interviewing my friend Cameron True, the owner and pit master of Utah's best barbecue, Bam Bams, co-host of the Nitty Gritty podcast, father, husband, and sports fanatic. I've never known anyone personally who would openly talk about their condition of ADHD and what it's like for them. So I'm very grateful for Cam and his willingness to share his story, perspective, and advice to those struggling with ADHD. Well, I feel super lucky and grateful to have Cameron True here with me today. He is a friend of mine from this summer we met. I feel like I've been listening to him for much longer than that. He is the co-host of the Nitty Gritty podcast, also owner of Bam Bam's Barbecue, which is wildly popular in Utah. According to my sister, Female Food, who (laughs) is actually the authority, the very best barbecue in the state of Utah. Yes. And... Yeah, I consider him a friend now, so I'm excited to have you on, Cam. Thanks for being here. Oh, man, thanks for having me, and I agree with all of that. Well, us being friends. I don't want to be cocky <laughs> and say that I have the best barbecue in the state. Well, but it's I do. okay. It's if true. you know if you know you do, it's okay. It's fine. I do. You can own it. Yeah, I'm I'm going to own that. Okay. I've worked hard. I've worked hard for yeah. that. Yeah. So, yeah, but thanks for having me. This is great. It is so awesome to have you. So, I want to just start from the beginning of kind of your story. Tell me about you and how you wound up being a pit master and a podcaster and a sports, you know, huge sports fanatic and all the things. All the things. That's a big question. I know. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So barbecue is probably my most interesting story. Yeah. I'm sure we will talk a lot about ADHD today, but it is kind of the most, if you want a story that proves to somebody that they have ADHD, this is that story. Okay. Let's if, if that let's makes do sense. It. Yeah. So, so I was living in Provo with my wife. We had a small daughter and I was just working in sales, like so many people, you know, college age students around here do. Right. I actually wasn't really college age. I've been doing that for a while. I guess I was 30, 31 at this point. And I was I'm a big hockey fan. I'm sure you can see my hockey jerseys back here. Yep. But um, I was flipping through hockey games and I landed on a TV show called Barbecue Pit Ma- or Barbecue Pit Wars. Or no, Barbecue Pit Masters is what it was called. And it was the very first episode ever. And it was about these guys that travel on the weekends all over the country and they compete in professional barbecue. And I just remember for some reason, it's like somebody opened this door of like, that's my new life. It just it lit a fire. So weird. Wow. I'd never cooked. I guess I had worked in some kitchens, but that was before my mission. But I went to Lowe's. So here's where the ADHD part starts kicking in. (laughs) I went to Lowe's that night. And and granted, this is like late February in Utah. So there's a foot of snow outside. Yep. I go buy like this $40 little smoker and I've got charcoal and wood in it like two hours later off of one half of a YouTube video. Amazing. 
And they were probably the worst ribs I've ever made in my life, but it just grabbed me. And that started this three-year journey of, I mean, in a nutshell, I sold my half of a little marketing and sales business I owned. I got a, I moved to Arizona. I got a job for 10 bucks an hour. Now at this point, I have a wife and two children Mm -hmm. and I go from making, you know, a decent living, $60,000, $70,000 a year to making $10 an hour. But we call it hyper-focus or the wormhole. Like Mm -hmm. when something stimulates you and grabs you, you just go. And I got, I'm really good at networking. I made friends. I got this job at this big, you know, barbecue retail store. And they were kind of my first sponsor. And I started going around and competing on the weekends and, and this against all the guys I watched on TV, you know, two years prior. Right. And long story short, at the end of my rookie season or rookie year, Mm-hmm. I finished 17th in the world out of 3,000 teams. Insane. And then ended up in Texas cooking under a very famous pit boss in Austin, Texas, and left the wife and kids. We moved to Utah. I left them here, went there for five months to work for, I, I did the math later. I made about $4.50 an hour. Awesome. But I learned from, I mean, it's like learning from Michael Jordan. Yeah. You know, but, but barbecue and um Came back. My cousin wrote me a $50,000 check and I bought a bunch of used stuff and opened Bam Bams. So that was a four year. That's the three minute version of a very crazy, crazy, crazy story. Yeah. What an incredible ride. Can you tell the story? I love the story of the conversation that led to that kind of internship or whatever you call it, externship. Oh, with John? Yes. Are you talking about with the- him? Oh, about him not wanting to teach people his secrets or well i'm talking about so i listened to your episode of the nitty gritty podcast where you talked about how you were at this competition and you went up and talked to it wasn't that like the guy that ended up teaching you yeah so john wanted to he's a very famous restaurant cook but he wanted to see how competition would be and the best thing that happened to me with john is that i didn't know who he was Mm -hmm. everybody else did and so they just kissed his rear because he worked at Franklin Barbecue, which is to this day, by far and away, the most famous barbecue joint in America. Yeah. I remember seeing Brooke's video of like camping out, waiting. It's oh, like this whole thing. Yeah. If you're not in line by 8 a.m., you're not getting lunch. Crazy. I mean, it's, it's nuts. But so, yeah, I met him in Grand Junction, Colorado, and then we ended up being next door to each other in Lake Havasu. And he had a little pot belly pig as a pet, which I thought was kind of weird <laughs> for cooking pigs. Yeah. He's got a pig as a pet. Anyway. And I mean, we just became buddies. He's kind of this quirky Austin, like hipster smokes or not. Yeah. Smokes a pack a day, mm-hmm. like just a total chef. He was a pastry chef. So very detail oriented, very kind of high stress. And I'm just kind of this low key guy and we hit it off really well. And there was no, there's none of that kind of he's who he is. And so I'm treating him differently because in our world, he was a big deal. And then I met him again in Mesquite, which ended up being probably my biggest make or break moment in barbecue. If it went one way, I would have never probably cooked barbecue again. If it went the other way, it was my career and I ended up going the other, I mean, I showed up, there was seven bucks. I think that was on that episode. Yes. I mean, I, my wife had no idea we had $7 in our bank account and I go to Mesquite. And I mean, the chances of winning money at a barbecue competition are about this big. 
Right. But she calls me crying like three hours before turn-ins. And how are you going to do this? We have $7. And anyways, I ended up coming home with over $11,000 that day and it's saved us. So, but that's also the same place where I finally figured out who he was. He asked me for, because I worked at this big barbecue shop, I always had way more stuff than I needed. And so people would always kind of ask me if I, like if they ran out of foil or sauce or whatever. So I just hooked him up. And again, I did all this not knowing who he was. And so at the end of the competition, he finally came up. He goes, dude, do you know where I work? I'm like, no, I have no idea. He goes, have you heard of Franklin barbecue? And I just go, (laughs) what? And he goes, I opened that with Aaron Franklin. And I'm like, you're John Lewis. Like, cause I knew who I know who John Lewis was anyway. Wow. So three months after that is when he called me. And I think it was just because of our interaction without any of that influence of who he was. Mm -hmm. I just treated him like a normal guy. He just said, Hey, I need somebody to help me open this other place. And I don't want to teach my tricks to a Texan. So are you still interested in opening a barbecue joint one day? I'm like, well, it's like a pipe dream. I don't know that it's like, it's not on my like vision board or anything, but (laughs) he's like, well, if you want to move down, you can stay at my house. I'll pay it, you know, 10 bucks an hour or 500 a week. But I ended up working like 90 to hundred hours a week and tips. And so my wife was like, she was super supportive. Wow. And it's like, if we're ever going to do a restaurant, what better place to learn? And I went down and, um, yeah, spent just over five months with them and holy crap. Five months. Wow. And how, how much did you see your family during that time? Once, once Once? for Christmas. Yeah. Once for Christmas, I came back. Wow. So, and that, you know, and we can get into this, but right when I opened Bam Bam's, my wife actually wanted to separate, like she was done. Yeah. Um, and that's another ADHD thing that happens. We get so focused and I'm like, man, all this work and we've been poor for so long and we're finally about to get some like success. Mm-hmm. And, and she's just so I, the first, a lot of people still don't know this, but the first six months of Bam Bam's when I was like the cook, the cutter, the manager, I mean, it was 18 hour a day. I was living at my grandparents' house and I only got to spend like four nights with my kids Wow! for the first five or six months. So it was a ton of sacrifice and a crazy ride. But I mean, now here we are eight years later and we've beaten the odds and things are going great. Wow. So since we've been talking a little bit about ADHD, I kind of want to go back to that and talk about childhood and where you kind of recognized that that was something in your life that you were going to have to deal with and what your journey has been with recognizing that and dealing with it. And so let's start there. So as far as childhood goes, the interesting thing about me is I didn't know that I had ADHD until after my mission. Oh, wow. And so part of the reason why I'm so, what's the word I'm looking for? Passionate. Yeah, that's a good one. Passionate about sharing this is because I don't want kids to go untreated like I did. Yeah. Because it just makes like, I think I told you this when you were here, but a 12 year old with ADHD, here's 20,000 more negative comments about him or herself from other people than a neurotypical 12 year old. Wow. And there's all this unfilled, untapped potential. And everyone just thinks they're lazy or distracted or hyper when in fact, it's not the case at all. 
their brain just works differently. So for me, like my whole life was grounded from report cards and trouble because of report cards, terrified because of report cards, mm-hmm. F's everywhere. Like I love sports. I lo- like, I loved people. I had friends like crazy. I started playing hockey when I was young. And my hockey story is identical to my barbecue story. Wow. I saw it on TV. I built, I took my mom's like disco roller skates mm-hmm. out of the garage. <laughs> Put like a piece of drywall, like tacked it onto a broomstick and went out with a tennis ball and skated for like five straight hours. Wow. And like I said, when something grabs us, we go, but, um, and I played through college, but once I got home from my mission and I started selling alarms, which so many people up here in Utah do after. Yeah. Who did you sell with? Pinnacle security. Oh yeah. I was with them for like nine years. Wow. Are they around still? They sold to protection one. So the name isn't around, but so the first summer I quit, it was horrible. Mm -hmm. Cause like I said, like we do not excel in things that we don't want to do. The second summer I had a friend with me named Justin who said, have you ever been, has anybody ever told you about ADHD? I'm like, yeah, people tell me I have it all the time. Really? And I mean, this is kind of bad, but he goes, try this before you start your day. And he hands me an Adderall. And this is back before the stigma of like drugs, right? Like mm-hmm. Adderall was for like the weird kids or it's like Ritalin. Remember, like we used right. to call them Rid- Ritalin kids. Like there's even a band called Ritalin kids, but I took it. And about 30 minutes later, if you've ever seen the movie, like Limitless, have you ever seen that with Bradley not. Cooper? No. It's like my whole world. It's like everything. I saw everything differently. Hmm. It wasn't like a high per se. It was more a, it's like I could just, I could see. I don't know. I wanted to work. I wanted to focus. I like thought of an objective and I could go after it instead of just like forcing myself to work. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I've heard from other people too. The first time they took Adderall, they felt like they could fly. Right. You know? And see, and, and normal, like neuro, I don't like the word normal, neurotypical people can take Adderall and still feel like, it's a stimulant, right? So they're going to feel awake and they're going to feel focused. But when somebody doesn't need it, they're going to have a much bigger like emotional curve. Mm. Like they're going to go high and then come low and they're just going to be a mess. Yeah. With someone like me that has like real biological ADHD, it taps into the brain the way yours does naturally. So it allows my seven executive functions to kind of work together instead of working separately. And we don't feel a big shot up and a shot down. It just like wakes our brain up in a way that it's like when you take it, you realize how much you've been missing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. And so it's, that's one of the hardest things about ADHD is, is kind of shifting this opinion of those that have it, not looking at it as a curse. Yeah. Cause it is, it is, it's a curse. It like, I think anybody with ADHD, even if they've got their treatment perfect, wouldn't trade, like they would probably trade for a a neurotypical brain in a heartbeat Mm. just because of all that comes with it. And we can get more into that. But so the second that happened, I set up an appointment at a local doctor in Chicago and I was, I tested off the charts for ADHD and have been, uh, you know, on medication ever since. And is that, that like is, a, an extensive test? Is it like a pretty brief test that a doctor gives you or what is that like? 
So back then it was pretty brief and it was, it just felt like anybody and a lot of college kids do this now. Anybody could just go in and cut. It's like multiple choice. Like, are you focused or are you not? And it's like, Oh, I'm not, you know, it's like, duh. But there are tests now that are like three to five hours, which are really the ones that we should be taking because ADHD is only the biological version of ADHD is only found in five to 10% of human beings. But because of our new lifestyles with phones, mm-hmm. they're actually coining a new term called VAST, which I can never remember what it means. But it is basically neurotypical people are starting to show the signs of having ADHD because of these stupid things, yeah. cell phones. We're getting dopamine hits all the time. And then our body starts expecting, our brain starts expecting that. And then you start exhibiting some of those same signs. But you got to be very careful because if you don't have biological ADHD, you don't want to take the treatments that work so well for us okay. or other ways to, to handle that. So, so yeah, that's when I knew. And, um, I would say that until the last like two to three years, I've just taken my Adderall and kind of gone about my life, but I have had so many of the, nor- the normal pitfalls with ADHD, addiction, marriage problems, lazy depression, 80% of people with ADHD have a comorbidity, which is a secondary disorder. Um, whether it be ticks, whether it be Tourette's, whether it be bipolar, depression, anxiety, dyslexia is a huge one. A big one is called RSD, which is something that I have. It's called rejection sensitivity dysphoria. That's why we are so hypercritical of ourselves. And I can't even read Yelp reviews. Like if I read a Yelp review about Bam Bams, like I'll go hide in a cave for a day if somebody didn't like something. Like I just can't. I mean, good I just thing you're really it. good at it. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, but you'd still be surprised at how like everyone's a critic. And yes. Yes, the the heavy majority are five stars, but then you'll get this one star and someone will just go on this tangent. And it just it really gets me. And in fact, I'm trying a new medicine right now. It's only my fifth day. It's an old hypertension medicine. There, there's studies that it really helps with that RSD side mm-hmm. of ADHD. And so I'll bet most parents with ADHD kids, like when they hear me talk about that, they're going to say, oh my gosh, that's my totally kid. my kid. Yeah. His kids really exhibit it. Yeah. So looking back as a child, what are some, you talked about grades and getting in trouble and being afraid of like authority or whatever, but what are some of the other things that you look back and think like, oh, my life would have been so different if I had been medicated or people understood what I was going through? It's hard because some of my proudest stories are because of my ADHD, Mm -hmm. like my graduation story, which we would need some time to tell, like it's a crazy story. And in fact, I'm going to have, I have a teacher that I just found her and she's going to come on the podcast and I'm going to tell her how much the one thing that she did for me changed my life How cool! has everything to do with ADHD. But I think for me, the stress of it's hard, we're very in the present people. So it's hard for me to look back and really feel all that. Mm -hmm. But thinking back now, I think the hardest thing for me is just how many times, and I'll probably get emotional saying this, but if anybody with if any neurotypical person knew the things that we have to hear day in and day out on untapped potential, laziness, um, dumb, 
Uh, if you could just focus, like, why can't you be more like this person or this person? It's horrible. It is the worst feeling to feel like I know I'm smart and I know I can be very successful at the things that I like. Mm -hmm. and, and it's saying that you like them doesn't paint the picture. It's stim whatever stimulates you, right? Okay. Which is a very double-edged sword, as you know. Yeah. Right. Because you can be stimulated by good things and you could very easily be stimulated by bad things. So, but to go back and not be scared about every report card, mm -hmm. to not be scared of teachers like making fun of me, my friends making fun of me, my family, you know, it, it's, it's not, they're making fun of you. It's just like, what do we have to do to fix this? And so when you have somebody, even if they're caring about it, like, we know you can do better, but then you can never do better. And you just feel like a failure over and over and over and over your whole entire life. And it's, that's why suicide rates with us are sky high, drug addiction, sky high. 30% of our prison population, they think are un, undiagnosed ADHD. Wow. And it's just, we carry so much shame. That is the part that if I could trade or even if I could go back and have treatment and have teachers that understood what it really is, God, that would be amazing. Yeah, that's my next question is how can someone be supportive of a person who has ADHD, whether that's a child? I feel like almost everyone listening to this is either going to have a child or a sibling or a coworker or someone that's close to them that they associate with frequently that they could be supporting better. Right. So that's a great question. And it's a huge question. First of all, if you have a kid that has ADHD, it is almost guaranteed that you or your spouse has ADHD. And if it's hereditary, it's completely genetic. And the best thing to do to start treatment for your kid with ADHD is to get your ADHD treated. Interesting. You may, once you look at the symptoms, you may realize like as adults, our brains catch up. Mm-hmm. And we develop, a kid's brain develops about 30% slower than a neurotypical kid their age. But they've realized that 80% of kids with ADHD never lose it. Like it, it follows them all the way into adulthood. And so if you're forgetful, if you are prone to depression, if you're really hypersensitive to criticism, if you're, you know, any of those things and you know your kid has ADHD, there's a very good chance that you have it too. And even though your life may seem great, it could be way better. So I would start with that. Oh, that's really interesting advice. That's not what I would have expected from you. Right? Yeah. I, I, I actually heard that about two weeks ago. I'm always reading and it makes so much sense, especially, I would say, especially if you live in kind of the typical, like mom is at home, dad is out working. Mm -hmm. If, if the mom has ADHD, that's it. She will most likely be responsible for the treatment, like the medicine and whatever else, like. So we can't have a forgetful person dealing with medication for somebody that, does that make sense? Yes, totally. Not to mention if you think you have ADHD and your marriage sucks all the time, <laughs> you're welcome. I just saved it. Wow. Like, it, that, like the divorce rates for us are also through the roof and it has nothing to do with you Someone with ADHD can be such an awesome spouse, but if your spouse that doesn't have ADHD isn't willing to educate themselves on how you operate, it's just going to seem like hell. But, mm. and, and that brings me to my next point is education. So 
I would say the number one thing that people that are listening to this can do is you have to get rid of the stigma of ADHD. Like, oh, I have a little bit of ADHD. We all have a little bit. Would you ever say that to an autistic person? Like, oh man, I feel autistic today. No. And I feel the same way when people say, oh, we all have addictions. I'm like, Mm, no. no, 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 there's a very different type of person yeah. who is an addict who, when they get a hold of it's, it's the difference between someone who can chemistry. walk into a bar and take one or two drinks and walk back out and be fine. And the right. addict takes a drink and then there's no in between of one and 25 every time. Totally right. Yeah, totally right. And that's, you know, somebody in conference, it actually really got me. Somebody finally called it out in conference and I I'm not even going to attempt to say his name because I still don't know how to say it, <laughs> but it was, it was in the Saturday afternoon session. He talked about his family and his son coming home from this mission and trying to kill himself. Yes. And their family deals with bipolar and depression and anxiety. But what people don't understand about ADHD is first of all, they need to change the name of it because it's a horrible name and it does not paint the picture of what it actually is. Like we do not have an attention deficit. We actually have an attention surplus. Mm. We just don't know what to do with it. So, so when people realize that it is a permanent biological, neurological thing that will never, ever, ever go away for 80% of us, they will have more respect for how it's going to affect us and how we operate in the world. Yeah. And if that's more of a marketing thing, I think that changing the name, and I know they're trying to do that. I've heard a few executive function deficit disorder would be a really good one because really that's our, that's our problem. You have seven executive functions and ours just don't work together. Yours do. So like when I'm in the moment, when you're talking about addiction, Mm -hmm. right before I go to take a drink or pop a pill or whatever else, like my brain does not say, do you remember what happened last time? And this is what could happen up here. If you do this. Like we, I can't make those three distinctions at the same time. I can only make like pill, feel better, gulp. My brain can't process all that together at the same time. Like yours can or any neurotypical brain can. So when you hear that, then you realize why addiction is such a problem. Mm -hmm. My marriage issues are, you know, it's like, all I want in my marriage is for you to take out the trash. If you will just do that, I'll be happy. (laughs) Guess what? We're going to forget to do the rest of our life. Mm. Like but it's, it's not our fault. You just have to learn why it is that way. And there's tools to do it, but. So I would say, get educated, get rid of the stigma. Do not joke about having ADD. Do not make light of it being a thing that kids have or that you don't grow out of it. Because it is, if you spent 20 minutes in here, and I'm pointing to my head right now, for those of you just listening, you would jump back out the second that you could, like the fastest you could and go, I love my brain. Wow. Like I have learned to live inside of this thing and I, and there's so much I love about it and I'm learning to love about it, but it never stops. It never shuts up and it has a propensity to just, I've got two demons that I have to deal with. Satan. Mm -hmm and my brain. And most people with ADHD have that same, we don't have the switch to toggle or DMN, which is aptly named the demon. 
It's basically the same part of your brain that creates your creativity and your good ideas also starts questioning everything and says, that idea is stupid. Don't do that. So, and because of all the crap we hear from other people throughout our lives about lazy, dumb, unfilled potential, untapped potential, we believe it. So it's this really like crazy dance and roller coaster. It's just, it's a hamster wheel. Wow. Well, it's remarkable that you've been able to do so many cool things in your life, notwithstanding this challenge. And, and also to me, it doesn't seem like an accident that you've done it. And now you have this platform and ability to share your experiences with others and inspire people to feel like that isn't, that isn't a roadblock that's going to keep them from being successful or doing things that they want to do. Totally right. No, and I appreciate that. And that's, I said that in my post, I wrote this very vulnerable post I've never really done before after that conference talk. I just felt so like validated by that talk. Yeah. And I just, I really wanted to let people in to get an idea of what it's like on a daily basis. And I have been one of the lucky ones. Um, I'm so glad I was born with, you know, an extroverted personality and I love people and I found a thing that stimulates me that I love, that I work harder than anybody at. And like being an entrepreneur for an ADHD person is like, it's the perfect world for us. If it's something that stimulates us, there are so many like uber successful CEOs that have ADHD, you know, unfortunately without treatment, it's like your CEO or your convict. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of the trade-off. So for me, it's been educating myself. And just being confident enough in my history and what I've pulled off up to this point, like the fact that I stayed on a mission for two years without Adderall still baffles me to this day. (laughs) And there is a level of spirituality that we should talk about as medicine, because I am convinced that there's a way to soup up our medications and that's through spirituality. But that's a very hard thing to be consistent with for someone with ADHD. But um, yeah, explain what you mean by that. So there was, there was actually a BYU TV interview between conference. I think it was after the afternoon conference where a neuroscientist said that they can see on MRIs brain activity with spirituality, which is kind of the same activity that we would get from taking our medications. And so what I've learned is it is hard, It is so much easier. Whenever I face a trial, my first, like the first thing that I always do is run back to God, which is I'm sure very typical, right? But what I've noticed is the things that I normally struggle with, even with medication, mm-hmm. when I am doing the things that I'm supposed to spiritually, which again is very hard. There was a talk in the afternoon session on Sunday about 1%, get 1% Loved better. that one. Yeah. Like if I could tell every ADHD person that, because because of shame, we'll like read three verses and just be like, we're pathetic. I can't do this anymore. This is boring, but it's like, Hey, if that was three more verses than yesterday. Awesome. Yeah. Like you're doing great, but prayer, like prayer is the one. Sorry. If I could teach everybody with uh, every adult with ADHD that is going through trials that will inevitably come because of the way we are wired prayer, there's no stronger medicine that can be prescribed on top of what you're already hopefully taking than your heavenly father and your savior. And it's something that I am so bad. I am like the poster of president or elder Uchtdorf's two, two degree talk. 
Mm-hmm. Remember that a few years ago, like you just get two degrees off, but the longer you go, the farther away you get. I never really do anything bad. I just don't keep that centering. I've got so much weight on my shoulders and so much in my brain as it is that it's like anywhere I can offload some of that is going to help me. And that is a place that is constant, that is always there for you to offload. And if you're not using it, you're not, your treatment plan is flawed. Yeah, that's powerful. If that makes any sense. Yes. Yes, it does make a lot of sense. And I think that it's something that all of us, whether whether we have ADHD or we're... For sure. What did you call it? A normal neuro... Neurotypical. Neurotypical. I, you can say normal. I just am like, what's normal? Uh, no, no, I know. I, no. I knew that wasn't the right term, but... I think that's something that everyone can learn from because I feel the same way too. It, it it's not like I'm going to get up and rob a bank, but it right. I, you do slowly just feel yourself creeping away from the spirit and from the influence of the Holy Ghost and and that's I mean I feel like that's my superpower too. If I can just tap into that, if I can read the Book right. of Mormon, get a little bit of that going, then it can just totally propel my day in a different way than Absolutely if I don't right. have it with me. Well, and I think people, this is one thing with ADHD and spirituality is because of the inherent shame that we always feel. I have, I heard something great from my Bishop a couple of weeks ago. I told this on David Butler's when he was here on the nitty gritty podcast, Mm -hmm. we had a law of chastity, like combined with all the young men, which is always an interesting meeting. Right. And my Bishop gave this awesome analogy of, I have always treated the spirit as I'm not doing the right things right now. He's gone. I'm bad. Like, but he said, uh-uh. the spirit never leaves you. You just put yourself in a position to not be able to hear him. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, imagine like if you're swimming and you're on top of the pool and I yell something to you, you can hear me. Great. Now go to the very bottom of the deep end. And if I'm yelling, can you hear me? And I'm like a little, yeah, because that's how it is. Like, when you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing, the spirit doesn't leave, but you can't hear him and you don't think about him. Yeah. What a great analogy. So it's, but if you can shake yourself loose and say like, no matter what I did, he's still right there. I just have to ask. Yep. Like ask three letters, like knock, ask, whatever you want to say, like, but you have to ask and you can't ask without praying. And so Um, that's the unfortunate thing is when you have people that are so inherently accustomed to thinking that they are lesser than it makes spirituality even harder because they run from it and then they numb, which Mm -hmm. you guys have talked a lot about with addiction. Yeah. I mean, we are, for those of you with children, and maybe this can segue into the next part, but if you do not start your child on medication before the age of 12, they are six times more likely to have addictions as adults. Wow. And since they're already 10 times more likely to have addictions as, as adults with ADHD as it is, it's now 16. And, you know, one other thing along with that, that I should have answered when you asked earlier about how can we help? What do we need to understand? Mm -hmm. This one really drives home, like how real this disorder is. If you take the top four killers of Americans, which is what heart disease, smoking, alcohol. I always forget what the fourth one is. But if you take all four of those and combine the years that you lose off of your lifespan, 
for each one. Like heart disease is, you know, a few years. Smoking two packs a day is like six years. Mm -hmm. ADHD is more life, more years off your lifespan than all four of those combined. Wow. Well, a person with ADHD is, will live 13.1 years less than a typical American. And if they'd have no treatment whatsoever, it's closer to 20. But if you have the right treatment and you start it early, you can get rid of that number entirely, that whole 13 years. But I mean, that is, that is eye-opening. Very eye-opening. So if you, if someone is listening to this and they're like, I think I have that, or maybe they are on medication, but I would just guess that there's probably more that you do in your full treatment plan than just taking a medication every morning. So what are, what are some of the other things that have helped you to become the best barbecue? Well, you are not (laughs) the best barbecue, but, but owning the best barbecue restaurant in the state of Utah and having a marriage that, that like you said, beat the odds and came back around. What are the things that you do that allow you to live that kind of life, notwithstanding this trial? It's a lot of trial and error. And the unfortunate thing is, depending on where you are in the world, sometimes it's hard to find like real ADHD clinicians, like people that specialize in it because family practice, MDs, like they're just going to throw the medicine at you that they think you need. Mm -hmm. But the unfortunate thing is with all these comorbidities now, you really have to dial it in. And there's so many amazing medications now. There's like 90 of them, wow. like 12 different delivery systems. Like you can really dial stuff in. But for me, recently, what I've learned, like I said, I, this last like two or three years, I've just done this like cram thing. Like I, I've become so passionate about it. I'm trying so hard to exercise. Like that is, they say that 20 minutes of getting your heart rate up is the same as taking an Adderall for the day. That doesn't mean that you should get rid of Adderall or whatever other drug you're taking. Like, I can't even tell you how crazy you are if you think that you can do this without medication. Like it's that, the studies out there are just, you can't argue. And I realize the stigma behind medication, but this is one disorder that is like, it's just a must, Mm -hmm. it's a must. Now, some adults have figured out how to cope and they've kind of grown out of it and maybe more mild, but if it's not like medicine is the foundation, but like I said, or like you said, there's so much more to it. You can't just take a a pill and say, we're good. Right. You know, it's like diet plays a big role. Stimulation plays a big role. Your job plays a big role, like finding the right kind of difficult. I love that saying, like finding something that will challenge you, but that you love doing, Mm -hmm. which is hard for some people, but then exercise, like the studies that are coming out with school children, if they can ride on a bike in class or have a longer recess, but they have to do something targeted where they get their heart rate up. They said kids that do Taekwondo three times a week saw a 30% jump in test scores almost immediately. Wow. Because balance quiets our mind. So whatever requires hand-eye coordination and balance, Mm -hmm. it really quiets our mind. It's because we're so focused. So was that hockey for you? Hockey, everything I love, golf is hand-eye coordination, Mm -hmm. hockey, snowboarding, 
Like right now, my new obsession is pickleball. Like I love it. I'm getting <laughs> a little older. It's a little easier for me to play. But yeah, I've lost 75 pounds since the winter just playing pickleball. Wow. And so awesome. like obesity is a huge problem with ADHD just because we are always, the thing that we haven't talked about is we only produce about 10% of the dopamine that you do. Hmm. And dopamine is what tells us like, good job. Like today's awesome. If we don't get dopamine, if the brain doesn't get dopamine, the brain takes over. Like our brains are so powerful. And when they take over, they're going to go to whatever gives them dopamine, pornography, drugs, pressing the gas pedal on your car all the way to the floor, stealing a candy bar, robbing a bank. Like who knows? Like it's going to, whatever creates a rush. Yeah. Like we are so risk averse. Um, and we don't think things through. Hopefully your life where, insurance agent isn't listening to this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, trust, if you, you should see what I pay for life, life insurance. Oh my gosh. That all factors in, but so yeah, exercise, diet, finding people that can support you and understand you and are willing to educate themselves on your disorder slash superpower. Cause it is a superpower. If you harness it. You can't really beat, you can't really beat that and find and finding your thing, finding your passion, something that stimulates you and then finding somebody that doesn't judge you for every mistake that you make. Cause you're going to make so many of them. And most of all yourself, like you have got to figure out a way to cut yourself some slack. And so mindfulness and meditation is really hard for us, mm-hmm. but there are some incredible studies on the rejection side and on the shame side of that helping I'm like three days into that, by the way. Holy crap, it's hard, but it totally helps. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's a huge key too. And when you do the 12 steps, that's, you know, 11, yeah. you got to do that every yeah. day. So, that's... right. I mean, there's so many parallels. There's so many parallels there. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Cam, I could talk to you all day about this and <laughs> it is, I have learned so much. I feel like I'm so much better equipped to be compassionate and understanding. And, and, you know, on a personal note, when I went through just absolutely debilitating postpartum depression last year, where I was a different person than I have ever been. And I laid in bed days, you know, day after day after day, couldn't like, it was hard for me to will myself to walk downstairs and have a piece of toast. Like it was just so hard. And I learned compassion for people who have depression and who have mental health issues that are of that magnitude because I just had never experienced anything that life altering. So, um, and that, that really put me on a journey to, to say, how can we bring more light to this and more awareness to all types of, you know, mental health issues and let's talk about it more and let's stop burying it. And that same conference talk that spoke to you really spoke to me too for different reasons, but but I just think what you are willing to do here is so important because a lot of people would just want to kind of hide that challenge yeah. and not it's have. It's amazing how many do. They don't yeah. even want to take medicine because that's admitting that they have it. Right. And I'm like, how sad is that? Or maybe I'll be withheld from certain opportunities or people will think I'm not capable of. But like you've shown that you're capable of so much if you're channeling it the right way and getting the right help. You are. And I mean, the the thing that I don't want to oversell is how hard it still is. I mean, like my marriage, for example, that is a constant up and down. And it's, you know, once you factor in kids and job and all that, it's, mm-hmm. 
it's so hard for a neurotypical brain to be married to somebody that is just a million miles an hour. I, I don't know if I use this saying already, but one great way to explain ADHD is Ferrari brain, bicycle brakes. Oh, wow. Like it is, it is the perfect just picture of what ADHD really is. It's a million miles an hour. It's I have the greatest idea today and tomorrow I totally forget about it. And I've got the greatest idea tomorrow and it, it's hard, but if you can learn to sit back and enjoy the show, mm-hmm. because these are people that have unmatched empathy, unmatched, unmatched generosity, an ability to love that is, uh, I mean, it's off the charts. It's a paradoxical disorder for every bad thing. There's an opposing good. It's really weird. But there's, there is one other thing that I'll tell your listeners is there's a new book that is like, I've, I'm four times through it now. Wow. Called ADHD 2.0. It's by Dr. Ned Hollowell and John Rady. The thing I love about these two is they take all the negatives, but n- they'll never talk about a negative without talking about the opposing positive. And it's all the newest treatments and all the newest studies. And it's presented in a very non-medical way, um, really easy to listen to. So if you think you have ADHD or your kids have ADHD and you want to understand it more, it's the number one place I would go to, to start. There's okay. a lot more info, but. How cool that they balance all of that information too. With- it's awesome because it's, you listen to some of the medical seminars and it's just like, all they talk about is just problem after problem, after problem, after problem, but they never talk about the success stories, you know, you've got Justin Timberlake, Adam Levine, uh, Michael Phelps, you've got Bill Gates, Steve, I mean, the the list is the founder of JetBlue. There's the list is never ending of very successful ADHD people. But unfortunately, the list is much longer on the other side. And that's what we need to fix. Well, I appreciate you being part of that solution today and being so vulnerable and sharing so much of your life experience. So I have one last question for you. Yes. And that is if there's one message that you want the people who are listening to this episode today to remember, what do you want that message to be? That's a really tough question. There's so many. Sorry. Let's love one another. That's it. I mean, it requires no explanation. Doesn't matter who they are, what they do. We've got to be better at that. So that's it. Well, and you're such a good example of that. I I got emotional when I saw your post about going up and feeding the youths. I thought that was so cool. So now we can just oh, cry yeah. together. It's um, so sweet. That, you know, you're this like huge cougar fan. You feed the cougars. You're like diehard, you know, and then you said, like, let's go break bread with our youths. And they're going through a tough time right now. I yeah. mean, two years in a row where they've lost a really special player. And, you know, for a lot of people, this second part doesn't really matter, but they've lost. This is a very winning program. They've lost, you know, they lost four straight games. They're it's just such a, they're having a really tough time. And I, and I've got a lot of their fans that follow me. And you could just kind of read it in their tweets and their posts. Like, they're just, suffering and it just was like you know what this rivalry doesn't mean crap like this is this is way more important and i've worked i've done some fun things in the past with their biggest tailgater up there we we do a bet every year yeah 
And uh, last time when we did it, we lost, of course, because we lost for like 60 straight years. <laughs> That's what it felt like. But I had to wear a Utah shirt, go up to their tailgate and feed 100 people. And the only good thing that came out of that was they lost four straight games. And so they called it the Bam Bam's curse. Oh, wow. And they never let me come back. <laughs> but this time I said, I won't wear a Utah shirt. I'm going to wear my BYU stuff. I'm going to bring food for 200 people. And we're just going to love each other. And this is going to be for Ty and for Aaron. And we're just going to celebrate their lives. And just, just remind ourselves that like nothing is better than food for that, right? Like yep. that's probably Comfort my favorite food. part about what I do is, yeah. yeah, like food brings everyone together. And I'm encouraging as many BYU fans that are here to come and wear their blue. And we're going to go up there and just, we'll have our Cokes in our hands and we'll cheer them with their beers and theirs. And we'll just hey, eat Hey, we barbecue. don't all drink beer. And, wait, you're the a Utah, Utah fan? fan? Yeah, did you not know Oh, that? they all do in the guardsman lot. <laughs> you haven't been to the guardsman lot. I have. No, I'm just kidding. I have. Oh, you have? I have oh, with my diet crazy. Coke. But see, I love it. I love, like, they have such an awesome atmosphere and they're amazing people. It's funny, I've even, since then, I've kicked three BYU fans out of my restaurant on game days for heckling Utah fans that came here to eat. Wow. Before the games. Like I'm on the field, the rivalry's real. And I don't want to lose that game. But everywhere else, like, come on. We're all friends. We're all family. And so yeah, it's gonna be a really I'm pretty excited about that. I think it's gonna be a pretty neat thing. And uh just kind of I think right now we're also hungry for connection after COVID. And so yeah, I'm really excited about that. So I love that. Well, where can people find you? Find um, your podcast and your personal social media and all Thank that. Thank you, social media. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool to hear a social media juggernaut kind of stumble oh with that gosh. kind of stuff. You're Mintero, come on. I know. Where can people so, find all your stuff, Cam? So Bam Bam's BBQ is the restaurant. Okay. And I run that account. My personal account is just Cameron True, which is you know, Cameron and then T-R-E-U. And then I am co-host with my brother-in-law on the Nitty Gritty podcast, which is Nitty Gritty Show on Instagram, and it's on all the different um, platforms. Yeah. And so, yeah, we have a blast, and you are one of our favorite guests. So if you want your first episode to be an arrow, come, come listen to it, because it was a good one. Yeah, it's an awesome podcast. So thanks again for Thank you. being here and for everything that you shared today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.